Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, January 20th. The Levy finally breaks on day four of the 2022 Australian Open, at least sort of, right? I mean, consider it. We had six upsets on the day, four on the women's side, two on the men's, and of course, those are the matches I want to focus on on today's show in particular. Maybe the performance of the tournament in Clara Tossin's straight set victory over six-seeded Annette Conteve, the former world junior number one, showing everyone the promise she possesses here early in her career. And of course, on this show, I want to talk about why her early career success is quite indicative of high future prospects. I want to talk about what she can do right now as well to experience success here in 2022, her prospects for this tournament moving forward. But of course, there were some more puzzles upsets on the day. I think we all know Tossin is destined to earn some big wins throughout the course of her career. I don't think any of us saw Alize Cornet's straight set victory over third-seeded Garbine Muguruza coming, and there's no denying it. Muguruza struggled. Want to talk about those struggles, what Cornet did to induce those struggles, but then, of course, for Alize Cornet, looking to make her first fourth round in Australia since, I believe, 2009. She certainly did some things very, very well. Want to touch on that match. Danka Kavinic knocks out 20 2021 U.S. Open champion Emma Raducanu. I want to talk about the circumstances of that loss because I think they're critical to understanding the result, but credit to Kavinich first third round for her. You know, Elena Rubakina forced to retire in her second set. There are a couple, those, you know, those are your four women's upsets. We'll go into more depth. And then on the men's sides, of course, Chris O'Connell. I don't think any of us would have seen his straight set victory over Diego Schwartzman coming. I want to talk about what O'Connell did well. Of course, explain the circumstances of that one as well. Explain my continued bafflement. That's not a word. My continued confusement. I I continue to be confused. We'll leave it at that. That's the lack of sleep, folks. By Benoit Paire's four-set victory over Grigor Dimitrov. Grigor struggled. Want to talk about those struggles, but also what allowed Benoit Paire to have success. That's the best I've seen him play in quite a bit of time. A much-needed result as he looks to reset his career moving forward here in 2022. If those are glass half-empty sort of takes, there are plenty of glass half-full takes to discuss from day four as well. You look on the women's side, some of the top seeds continuing to cruise, Fiontech, Pavelchenkova, Halep, etc. Men's side, Medvedev, Tsitsipas, FAA, all playing fascinating matches. Sinner, Rublev, Fritz, how did they look on day four? Want to talk about all of that and more on today's show. But of course, before we can do that, have to remind all of you listeners of a couple of things. A, you're looking for daily preview content. Rest assured, we've got that for you as well. Head on over to our Great Shot podcast feed. Each and every day, we post my GSP Ace of the Day segment. I offer my picks for each and every day's play at the 2022 Australian Open can find all of those segments wherever you listen to your podcast on the Great Shot Podcast feed or on our website, crackrackets.com. Of course, in on this podcast in particular, I have to give a shout out to all of you listeners, to our Crack Rackets Patreon family for your continued support of our work. It means the world to us, allows us to power on uh, because we know there's you listeners, you tennis fans deserve the best content in the world. We try to provide that for you here at Crack Rackets. So a huge thank you to all of you. Hopefully all of our Crack Rackets 
Rackets Patreon members have enjoyed our Cracked Rackets Match of the Day segment. Uh, of course, I focus on the match I'm watching most closely on any given day throughout this tournament. If you, a mini break listener, are looking for that bonus coverage, you can join our Cracked Rackets Patreon family today. Just go to our website, CrackedRackets.com, of course, last but certainly not least. Got to give a shout out to our friends at Tennis Point. Best in the business, best equipment, lowest prices, one location, tennis-point.com. Use the promo code CR15 to get 15% off your order. Free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Tennis-Point, symbol, not the spelling. Tennis-Point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said, let's get into day four of the 2022 Australian Open. And again, we're a glass half full sort of company here at CR. With that in mind, we got to talk about what was the ultimate glass half full sort of performance from former world junior number one, now top 50 WTA player, Clara Tawson. She earns a 6-2, 6-4 victory over Annette Conteve to advance to the third round in Australia. Let's start first on this match in particular. Clara Tawson had the biggest weapons on the court. Whether it was the forehand, whether it was the backhand, whether it was the serve, she was better at all three of, you would argue, the three most essential things in tennis than Annette Conteve on this day. The numbers are reflective of that fact. You look for Clara Tawson. She makes 59% of her first serves to Annette Conteve's 53. Wins 73% of her first serve points to Conteve's 55. 57% of her second serve points to, this is a critical number, 37% of Annette Conteve's. She hits, uh, I believe, 20 winners to Conteve's 15, 13 unforced errors to Conteve's 27. Any way you want to slice it, any metric, you want to go by the rally breakdown. Okay, Tossin, plus 14 in the zero to four, uh, four shot rallies, plus three in the five to eight shot rallies, plus five in the nine plus shot rallies. She also responded when her back was against the wall, and she did it in typical Clara Tossin fashion by coming up with winners and shot making that simply put 5% of top 100 players on the WTA Tour are capable of. That's the sort of FU power Clara Tawson, uh, Clara Tawson possesses, you would argue, an immediate inductee. We're having an emergency meeting at Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club. She's not going to be an immediate member. You know, you got to, at a minimum, we'll say, win a Masters event, a thousand-level tournament, maybe win a year-end championship to get some property time. You're allowed to be a renter at that point. You got to have that Grand Slam title to own property at Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club. But that's the sort of power Clara Tawson possesses. I would argue she's already got a top 10 backhand amongst the WTA Tour. Just her ability to not only rip that ball down the line, but the shape and the drive of her shot when she rips through the ball cross court. She can hit winners, cross court, neutral shot, backhand rally. That's immensely difficult to do. Tossin can do it at age 18. And just, again, you look for Clara Tossin in this match today Annette, against Annette Conteve. I'd point to the fact that she goes down an early break in the second set, down 1-3, and it's 30-all on the Annette Conteve serve. What does Clara Tossin do? Forehand winner down the line return, 30-40. Backhand winner down the line return, game Tossin, 2-3. She then gets broken again, 4-2-4. What does she do in that 2-4 return game? Breaks Conteve right back, a couple of big returns. And what I loved what Tossin did so well in this match was hit the return with depth and pace down the center of the court. Wasn't 
overtly trying to hit lines when going down the line and going big on her return. Just wanted to play with depth and pace. And she knew if I do those two things, even if Annette Conteve gets the ball back, which at many times she did, Tossin would be set up for another plus one shot, another easy put away. And just, you know, even though Clara Tossin was three of five at the net, that's, you know, indicative she didn't move forward that frequently. It's because she put away the approach shots. And that's the decisiveness with which she hits. And again, it's a front foot sort of tennis. And if you look for Clara Tossin throughout her career, and we'll get to the results in a second via our friends at Tennis Abstract, but having had the chance to watch a bunch of her success, well, I suppose we have to get to some of those numbers now. You look for Clara Tossin since the tour resumed in August of 2020. She's 66 and 21 overall at 76% win percentage, 41 and 15, 73% win percentage over her last 52 weeks, 31 and 13 in tour level matches, 70% win percentage in tour level matches. That's why the 20, soon to be uh, 20 year old, excuse me, 19 year old, I said she was 18. She turned 19 at the end of December last year. The 19 year old is number 39 in the world right now. It's, it's indicative of the success she has, the weapon she possesses. You look for her last season, she was able to win titles in Lyon, in Luxembourg, makes a final in Courmayeur as well. You look for her based on the opponents she played against, opponents ranked 51 or higher in WTA Tour matches. She was 22-10 and 10 against the top 50. She was 8-3. and three. And you look at the wins. Again, she beat she beats Conteve here, but she had gotten a win over Samsonova and Leave on Drusova last season, Alexandrova a couple of times. Of course, she got that win over Jennifer Brady at Roland Garros at the end of the season in 2020, 9-7 in the third after she came through qualifying. And again, in 2020, at that event, she was still 17 years old. Former World Junior number one. If you're World Junior number one, you clearly have some talent, but you know we don't always know how well that talent is going to translate. I think it's pretty safe to say you can tell why Clara Tossin had success at the junior level, and that's just because she hit the ball harder and bigger and more accurately and with more feel and with more action than everyone else she played. And yes, I think the thing that was so impressive against this Annette Conteve in this Annette Conteve match, you know, why else did she hit that return with depth down the center of the court? Because there wasn't much Conteve could do with that ball. And that allows Clara Tossin a bit more time to get into her forehand, which is an extreme grip. And that extreme grip, when pressured by pace and pressured by weapons, can break down. Uh, but, you know, with the depth of her return, Conteve didn't have that many opportunities to play plus one tennis, to play easy, aggressive shot and break down that forehand. And so Tossin was dictating with it. And if you give her time on that forehand wing, it also looks weak. The uh, elite, the action on that ball, how heavy it is, not just the drive, but the top spin on it it as well. I love the toss and service motion. You can see the kick she generates. You can see her ability to hit slice down the tee on the ad side, and she does a really good job of disguising which spin she's going to hit as well. Does a great job, again, with her feel, uh, taking that ball, condensed backswing on the backhand in particular, but also with her forehand just adjusting and taking that forehand on the rise as a return. She's really good at striking a tennis ball. There's a lot of Taylor Fritz in Clara Tossin's game just Tossin, I would say, is better comparatively to the field and athletically, I think, a little bit more fluid, although she struggles with her movement. And that's when Conteve would have success, when she was able to stretch the point laterally and get the ball into the outer third, you know, take the plus one ball cross court to open up the down the line second ball and just keep Tossin on the move side to side to side, not let her set her, her feet because if she sets her feet, she's got top 20 weapons, top 10 sort of potential weapons already. And, Conte, you know, again, 
Tossin was executing so well that it was very difficult for Annette Conteve to find opportunities to play plus one aggressive tennis. When those opportunities arose was when Annette Conteve got a look at a second serve. And for Clara Tossin, 59% on the first serve, that's not going to be good enough for her moving forward. It was good enough today because she was hitting everything else so well. But if she's not returning the ball as clearly, and Annette Conteve, by the way, did not serve particularly well either, made only 53% of her first serve points. But everything broke Clara Tossin's way. Five of nine on break point chances, two and four victory, comprehensive victory. And you look for Clara Tossin now, by the way. And I don't think this is going to be a surprise to anyone, given the fact that she's still uh, only just uh, 19 years old. But she's into her first third round at a Grand Slam event and made a second round, obviously, last year, Roland Garros before getting knocked out by Vika, second round U.S. Open last year before getting knocked out by Barty. This time she beats a top seed. It's Annette Conteve, signature win for Clara Tossin. I believe, actually, you look for her in her career. I want to say it's her first against a top 10 opponent. And in fact, it is her first win over a top 10 opponent. Well-deserved and indicative of her future success. And you look for Clara Tossin in her career on the WTA Tour level, 33 and 15 overall, 69% win percentage. I did a segment in the offseason and, you know, what is it when you're looking for growth and you're looking for potential in WTA Tour players? What are the sort of results of players in the past early in their careers, you know, by, by the time they're through their teenage years, 16, 17, 18, 19? And of course, Sellis sets the standard. She's winning like 90% of her matches, seven Grand Slams, I think, in her teenage years. You know, she has set the limits, the outer bounds of what is possible. Martina Hingis was exceptional. You know, I think five slam titles. Sharapova, Serena, both winning around 75, 80% of their matches. They were excellent. Tossin hasn't won a slam yet, let's be clear. Hasn't had the sort of success of the players on that level, but she has won multiple WTA titles, and she does now get a top 10 victory into a third round, has an opportunity to make her first fourth week, uh, fourth week, second week, fourth round, as she takes on number 27 seed Danielle Collins next. There's a lot to like about Clara Tossin's game. Again, the tennis part I don't think will ever be an issue for her. The question is, can she physically become a fluid enough mover? Can she make enough first serves and play enough front foot tennis that she's not constantly chasing in the outer thirds? And can she get just a little bit better, though, a little bit more fluid in those outer thirds? If she does, she's number one in the world. That's the sort of weapon she possesses, and she's well aware of that. And so it's going to be fascinating to watch. Of course, you look Tossin versus Collins for uh, – Danielle Collins, a 54.8% chance to win, according to our friends at Tennis Abstract. You look at the odds, according to our friends at DraftKings, it's a minus 140. Collins uh, favored right now. It's the most narrow odds of the third round matches, according to DraftKings. It's the second closest match, according to Tennis Abstract. Expect a barn burner, folks. That match is going to be thrilling. And so, yeah, for Clara Tossin, just performance of the day, performance of the tournament. She thoroughly outplays a very much informer net Conteve. She took the ball off Conteve's racket. And to be able to do that at 19 years old, what a treat for us as tennis fans to enjoy. Now, of course, it is worth mentioning when you look at Annette Conteve, this is a disappointing result, certainly with all of the momentum she had built up heading into this hardcourt season. But you know, Annette Conteve is a three-surface sort of player, just as consistent results throughout her career on, you know, on hard courts, clay courts, grass courts. 
If anything, this will just add fuel to the fire. I think she ran into an informed Clara Tossin. And again, what is this indicative of? Does Annette Conteve have Serena Williams' power tennis country club sort of power? No, she does not. It's her combination of fluidity, movement, and then, of course, the power that she can generate, which is still very, very good. But Tossin has elite power. And when elite power matches up with anything that isn't also elite power, elite power when playing well usually wins. And so credit to Clara Tossin, straight set victory, my most impressive performance of the day and of the tournament. I'll go out and say it, although Sinner and Alcaraz have obviously looked very good as well. But Tossin advances to round number three of a slam for a first time in her career. Two other upsets on the women's side I want to touch on here to, I suppose, start the show. We're 15, 16 minutes in. I I guess we're kind of midway through. We've well past started, but I want to talk about two other upsets on the women's side, in particular Garbin Muguruza. I mean, disappointing 6-3-6-3 loss to Alizé Cornet. Now, again, Let's go glass half full here first. Alizé Cornet in this match. 60% of her first serve she makes. Wins 83% of her first serve points. 60% of her second serve points. Does not face a break point throughout the duration of the match. 17 winners. 16 unforced errors. Plus 9 on the 0-4 to shot rallies. Plus 8 on the 5-plus shot rallies. By the stats, you watch this match, she beat Muguruza by just about every category. But the problem in this match was that Garbine Muguruza just could not find a rhythm. And I talked about this after her first round victory over Clara Burrell. I thought she looked very measured in that match. And I thought it was because she was trying to work her way into the tournament from a physicality standpoint. She knew, you know, Burrell didn't really have the consistent enough weapon to hurt her with, wasn't quite fluid enough in the outer thirds to come up with the passing shots, even if Muguruza didn't place her approach shot with perfect depth or perfect placement. And Muguruza got away with it with, you know, two really good 10-minute stretches in the sets in that first-round match. Alizé Cornet did not allow her to get away with it. Alizé Cornet played high-percentage tennis and just, you know, again, because Muguruza clearly was not hitting confidently from the baseline, was not willing to go after her ground strokes for Muguruza. 17 winners in this match against 33 unforced errors. And for Muguruza, again, no break points created and only won 58% of her first serve points. 52% of her second serve points sounds pretty good, but it was just an indicative of everything felt at a second serve speed. Everything felt like it was at 75%. When she tried to go big down the line, it would either, you know, again, wasn't placed perfectly or would go sailing off of her rack. It just, she struggled to land returns on the court. Like, I know Alize Cornet, the comfortable victory in the 0-4 to four point margin, I think many of that is just because Muguruza failed to land returns in the court, whether it was in the net, whether it was sailing long. She just struggled to find a rhythm throughout the course of this match. And, you know, again, I think that's safe to say that was the theme for her early in this season. You look for Garbine Muguruza and the results that she's had here uh, now in 2021. Again, it was interesting because she looked excellent. I mean, just excellent in her first week victories uh, over Ekaterina Alexandrova, especially that 6-1 first set. But then, you know, against Kasekina, who doesn't have the biggest weapons, and you would think that's a good matchup for Muguruza, she just, she couldn't hurt Kasekina. And Kasekina was able to track down ball after ball. The same, it was very similar matches. The, that Kasekina match, that Sydney quarterfinals at the start uh, last week before, uh, I can't believe that was just last week, but last week, again, and, and the Alize Cornet match played today. It just felt like whenever uh, Muguruza tried Tried to approach the net. Alize Cornet was able to come up with a passing shot. And you look for Muguruza, 11 of 22 at the net in this match. 
credit to Cornet, who physically, you know, this is year 17 for her in her WTA Tour career. I mentioned this earlier, first third round for her uh, in, oh, excuse me, she made the third round in Australia, I believe, last last season. No, 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 she made second round in Australia last season. First third round for her in Australia since 2018 has the opportunity to make her first fourth round since 2009. Last time she made the fourth round of a slam, August 2020. Of course, she's made the fourth round of a slam five times in her career, but has never advanced past the round of 16 at a Grand Slam. Certainly, you look for Alize Cornet now. She's the favorite against Tamara Zdanzik, according to our friends at Tennis Abstract. 57.2% chance of advancing to the round of 16. After that, it would be a hypothetical winner of Kvinic and Simona Halep. Could be worse. Could be a top five seed, but you already knocked out your top five seed if you're Alize Cornet in Garbin Muguruza. Gotta give credit to the French woman. She advances to the third round against a straight set victory over Garbin Muguruza, who will have to reset uh, as we head towards the North American and the European indoor hardcourt swing, of course. One other upset on the day I want to touch on quickly that, of course, was Emma Raducanu's 6-4-4-6-6-3 loss to Danka Kvinic. All of the credit in the world to Kvinic when you look at the statistics for this match. 40 winners against 35 unforced errors. Won 65% of her first serve points to Raducanu's 53. 7 of 11 on breakpoint chances versus the 6 of 15 for Emma Raducanu. But let's be clear. If you watch this match, you're well aware Emma Raducanu had a massive blister on her right hand, heavily taped throughout the course of the match. It got to the point where, you know, she had to hit 50%, I would say, forehand slices in this match. And when you look at the numbers from this one, the fact that they played 74 zero to four shot rallies, you know, 68 five to eight shot rallies, and then 45, so 68 and 45. Are you ready for that quick math? 68 plus 45, 113 points went five shots or further versus the 74 zero to four that is a backwards ratio compared to what we usually see in tour level matches and that's because Raducanu didn't wasn't capable of playing the usual plus one forehand ball that she was she had to slice that ball if there was any sort of depth or pace attacked into the Raducanu forehand corner it was a slice reply and the fact that Raducanu while doing that still won the second set 6-4 and still was very much competitively in this match throughout speaks to her as a competitor speaks to that mental edge we saw emerge and manifest itself in New York last season and just, again, for her to not retire from this match, for her to try to gut it out and for her to almost be successful doing so and, you know, again, somehow the backhand was fine and her ability to drive that shot, whether it be down the line, cross court, the backhand is special for Emma Raducanu. No doubt about that. I think Clara Tossens has more pop. That's why I would put Tossens ahead of Raducanu in the backhand power rankings. That's a discussion for another time. But Raducanu stayed alive in this match and just physically extended rallies and was willing to play four or five feet behind the baseline. Usually she's on top of that baseline trying to take that ball early on the rise. You know, was only 10 of 14 at the net in this uh, match. And I think that's because she just wasn't the most comfortable hitting volleys with how her hand was feeling 27 winners against 39 unforced errors. Again, she was hitting 50% at least forehand slices. You cut her a break there. And then, just you know, she was able to hit through some forehand returns, especially in big moments, was willing to gut out some of that pain. But, 
you know, she held Danka Kavinich to only a 37% win percentage on her second serve. And, you know, Radikana was forced to take some off her serve, made 76% of her first serves, which is what you have to do when you have a bum hand. Only won 53% of her first serve points, 29% of her second serve points. Danka Kavinich in the end, winning 48% of her return points in total. But again, we had a 70% healthy Radikanu out there on the court, and yet she gutted this one out, nearly earned the victory. It was the first Australian Open for Radikanu, and I believe I saw Jose Morgado tweet this out, and, you know, it's an obvious stat, something we've talked about here, but worth reiterating. You know, Radikanu gains for a second round points here at the Australian Open, which she didn't have prior to this season and has nothing to defend on her resume until the end of April. It's all free for her. Every point she earns is a point added. She will very likely be in the top 10 prior to Wimbledon this season, just given the fact that she all she has to do really is win first round matches, and it's all free points for her on her ranking. So keep an eye on Emma Raducanu's ranking. This is still technically, despite the injury, obviously disappointing, but victory for her in the immediate term. And then, you know, again, helps her seeding moving forward at the French Open and just, you know, again, you have to, the glass half full take clearly is, yes, she lost this match, but she competed extraordinarily well and that she didn't, you know, just fold. It's indicative of her mental fortitude and just something to monitor and measure or something to applaud moving forward. But credit to Danka Kavinich, man. She's got weapons. She can hit a heavy ball. And, you know, once she recognized, okay, if I wait in this rally long enough, I will eventually get a short ball from Emirata Kanu. She was extraordinarily patient throughout the course of this match. And that patience paid dividends in the end as she ultimately earns the three-set victory. And by the way, first third round at a major of the, in the career of Danka Kavinich. And look, Kavinich reached the top 50 back in 2016, was number 46 in the world. That's her career high. Currently 27 years old, 98 in the world coming into this event in jeopardy of falling out of the top 100. You know what keeps you in the top 100? Making your first third round at a Grand Slam. And now for Danka Kavidic. Next up, uh, she's got, it, it'll be a tricky one, no doubt, Simona Halep. Simona Halep, a 93.1% favorite. That's your heaviest favorite in the women's round of 32. But still, credit to Kavinich. You get that check, you get those round of 32 points, and you outplayed Emiratica. Again, you identified the weak, you identified that if I make this match physical, and if I am patient enough, I will have enough opportunities, and I will win this match. And that's a very difficult, it's easy in principle, very difficult to have the discipline to execute, execute that uh, in action. And she managed to execute that. So credit to her. Again, three-set victory over Radikanu. Disappointing exit for the 2021 U.S. Open champion, but still something to build off of, certainly, as she moves forward. Those were your significant upsets on the women's side. And again, when I talk about the Levy breaking, those were all players, Radikanu and obviously Annette Conteve, Garbine, Muguruza, who, uh, Radikanu less so, but certainly Conteve and Muguruza considered contenders. You'd have to throw Rabakina in there as well, who we talked about after her first round victory. Her, it was so clear how much her right knee was bothering her. She gutted out that first round win, unable to gut out the second round. She gets knocked out by Shang, 6-4, uh, one love before she's forced to retire, just unable to play on. And so, you know, three 
in my opinion, legitimate contenders to win the title. Now officially off the board on the women's side, Muguruza, Conteve, Rabakina, no longer in the event. You've also lost, you know, Radakanu, Fernandez, your U.S. Open champion and finalist, Coco Goff, a quarterfinalist last year, Belinda Bencic, U.S. Open quarterfinalist last year, Sonia Kennan, 2020 Australian Open champ, but I don't think she was a contender to win this title. I just felt obliged to throw that name out there as well. Kerber, Cerebus, Tormo, your other women's seeds eliminated after round two. We flipped, though, now to the men's side. I want to talk about some of the surprising results there, and one of them wasn't a seed being knocked out, and I don't know how particularly surprising this was, given the fact that he had played a five-set match in the first round against Nicholas Basilashvili, and clearly, you know, physically, it was such a taxing match, but ultimately, in the end, Andy Murray knocked out in straight sets, straight sets by Taro Daniel. That was not the result I saw coming. Taro Daniel, a comprehensive 6-4-6-4-6-4 victory over Andy Murray. And just, you know, again, a couple of key stats from this one. A, Taro Daniel won the 0-4 shot rally 60-48. He out plus one to Andy Murray, plus 12. That was never going to be a recipe for success for Murray. If I would have told him that number before the match, he would have said, oh, there is not a doubt in my mind that that means I lose. Because obviously for Murray, focusing on that plus one ball and shortening points, making things more efficient for himself on court, of course, inevitably, he's going to make a match physical. And that physicality and that never say I die attitude is what separates him from so many other players on tour. But he had to execute a bit better on the plus one, and it just felt like whether it was his legs or just whatever it may be, Taro Daniel had so many easy looks on the return of serve. And you look in this match, Taro Daniel overall uh, holds Murray to a 39% win percentage on second serve points, creates 10 breakpoint chances for himself, converts on five of them. Now, Murray had 11 breakpoint chances, and he's only able to convert two of them in the end. Certainly, even despite Murray not having the juice on serve, he had plenty plenty of opportunities in this match, but he just played such a passive match. It felt like he was constantly the guy who was six feet behind the baseline and was constantly Taro Daniel stepping up inside the baseline, taking a ball early on the rise, changing direction. And again, you look for Taro Daniel, a little nugget for him moving forward. Yeah, he only made 58% of his first serves, but 12 aces and winning 79% of your first serve points against Andy freaking Murray, that is something you take away and build off of and take some confidence from if you're Taro Daniel moving forward. It's a really well-played match. And again, you look for Taro Daniel overall, 46 winners against 21 unforced airs, was striking the ball so cleanly. And I do think that was because it felt like Murray's forehand was sitting a little bit short, that his backhand didn't quite have the sting on it that it did against Basilishvili. And Daniel took his chances, would take that, you know, you're not going to outgrind Andy Murray. And so he said, you know, screw it. I'm going to take this ball early on the rise, play to win, play my game. 46 winners against 21 unforced airs, 20 of 20 at the net. You look for Murray, 38 winners against 49 unforced errors, 22 of 34 at the net. We'll certainly be disappointed with this loss. It was fascinating in the post-match press conference to hear Murray when asked, will you be back here next year? And he says, you know, I certainly hope to be, though I don't know how motivating second round losses like this are. And, you know, if this is what I'm going to do the rest of the year, I don't know how motivated I'll be to continue to play moving forward. That's an, it, that was an interesting little nugget from Andy Murray. And what does that indicate? And it's not a shock, I suppose, but that he wants to be winning. He doesn't want to be wasting his time because obviously at this point of his career, it's not about the money. 
It's about the love of the passion of the game, the love to compete, and the love to have success, obviously, when you are on court. And if Andy Murray's not going to be experiencing that, why is he going to torture himself, put himself through all of these different things if it results in a second-round loss to Taro Daniel? Now, again, I don't want to take anything away from Taro Daniel, who's 36-25 and 25 now over his last 52 weeks and qualified and made a round of 16 in Adelaide, qualifies here now into the third round at the Australian Open, came into this event with a ranking of number 120, very, very likely he's back into the top 100 with this result. You know, he's got the Sin Man next. That's brutal because Yannick Sinner's been lights out. But you look for uh, for Taro Daniel, who suffered an injury and, you know, was out for most of August and, you know, didn't get to play much during the summer. Only played, I believe, three tournaments from the start of June uh, till the end of July. Although then again, we had the Olympics, so not many people were playing in July, period. Uh, four tournaments from the start of June to the end of August. But, you know, again, down the home stretch of the season, quarterfinals Las Vegas Challenger, quarterfinals Brega Challenger. Now, round of 16 qualifies in Adelaide, qualifies here, round of 32, first time in his career. Huge moment for Taro Daniel, who I will say is serving particularly well right now and is holding, you know, 74.2% of the time for his career, but over the last 52 weeks has held 78.8% of the time. That's a victory. If you're Taro Daniel, certainly, again, outplayed Murray in just about every facet of this match. I mean, not just about. He did outplay Murray in every facet of this match. And the game of Taro Daniel has always been very, very smooth. It's been just, you know, that he's not the biggest guy. And it's not the most easy thing in him for the world to generate pace. And, you know, if you do have that overwhelming weapon, it can overwhelm him. Um, But Murray didn't have that. On this day, and so Taro Daniel, if you don't have the weapon to hurt him, he can look very, very good as at striking a tennis ball, and that's what he was on day number four. He advances to the round of 32 again. A date with the Sin Man up next, Yannick Sinner. By the way, 94.4% favorite over Taro Daniel. That's the biggest. Oh uh, no, it's not the most lopsided. Alex Vera of 98.1 to Redu Elbot's 1.9%. Poor Redu Elbot. Are we going to call him 1.9 moving forward? No, that's so mean. Um, but that's brutal. That's a brutal, brutal spread. But anyways, that was another notable upset on the day. Of course, your other top seed knocked out, not top seed, but seed knocked out on the day. Grigor Dimitrov, the number 26 seed, knocked out by Benoit Pair in four sets. Don't have too much to say on this other than Grigor struggled. Like, it just felt like his racket at times was a trampoline and that the return, you know, Benoit Pair, 63 of 77 on first serve points. I would say half of those were missed Grigor Dimitrov returns, whether it was a forehand that sailed long, whether it was a backhand missed in the net or just whatever it may be. And you saw him, you know, slamming on his strings and making gestures. Why is this ball flying on me? It just continued to fly on him. And I know it says for Grigor Dimitrov that he made only 47 winners against 48 unforced errors. They're giving way too much credit to the Benoit pair serve as a forced error in this match because a lot of those returns were very makeable returns. Dimitrov had a clean look at them, and he just continued to miss them. And credit to Benoit pair by the way, 50 winners against 42 unforced errors, 35 of 44 at the net, was taking every backhand early on the rise and just, you know, was striking the ball cleanly, was actually moving quite well and hitting his forehand on the run. You know, the heavy topspin of Dimitrov, he was absorbing, or not heavy topspin, but the heavy 
heaviness of that ball. He was absorbing it, redirecting it, and you know managing to get his for changing directions with his forehand, incorporating the slices. Just kept Grigor uncomfortable. And when you're struggling for a rhythm, you know who's no fun to play? A guy who's drop shotting you every third point, and a guy who doesn't afford you much rhythm in the first place. In Benoit Pair. A, this was a combination, good game plan from Pair, poor execution from Dimitrov. Benoit Pair advances to the third round, and you look for Benoit Pair 16 and 34 in his last 52 matches. Let me, uh, 52 weeks. Let me say that again. 16 and 34 in his last 52 weeks. He's lost 22 first round matches over the course of those last 52 weeks. But you look for Benoit Pair now again into the third round of this Australian Open. How many times has he made the third round of a major in his career? This is the 12th time he's done it. First since Wimbledon 2019, and you could see the elation in his face as he got over the finish line. You know, Dimitrov got a late break back at the end of that fourth set. Felt like he was making a final push before Pear was able to finally shut the door uh, in that one. But man, I mean, Funky, funky match. Grigor, unfortunately, struggling. Uh, and ultimately, in the end, Benoit Pair takes advantage of that. Plays a very sound match from start to finish. He's into the third round. We're next for Benoit Pair. He is going to face off with Stefano Tsitsipas. Brutal for these upsets today. Benoit Pair, a 7.6% chance, according to Tennis Abstract, to knock off Tsitsipas. Again, that's second, uh, yeah, second lowest, third lowest. Yeah, third lowest it goes. Zverev, Sinner, Tsitsipas in terms of the favorites. Botic Vandesen sculpt not sitting too pretty either. He's only an 8.2% uh, chance against Daniil Medvedev according to the numbers. Thankfully, tennis isn't just numbers. You play it out on the court. But the other upset on the day, and it's kind of Radakanu-ish, although I don't want to take away anything from wildcard Chris O'Connell, who played an excellent match. And again, another player into their first Grand Slam third round here at the 2022 Australian Open. You got to give O'Connell credit. Again, 7-6, 6-4, 6-4, made the match physical, didn't allow Diego Schwartzman to do anything easy, attacked second serves, found forehands on the return, hit through his backhand comfortably, even though Schwartzman tried to continue to pick on that one-handed ad side of the court. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you look for O'Connell, 27 winners, uh, excuse me, 44 winners against 44 unforced errors. Considering the pressure Diego Schwartzman puts on you with his consistency throughout the rally, I think that's a pretty damn good performance for O'Connell. You also look for Diego Schwartzman, 27 winners against 34 uh, unforced errors. So it's, you know, again, there were times when he felt the need to press, A, because physically, you know, he had tape on his back. And, you know, he mentioned in the post-match press conference he wasn't feeling his best physically entering. Uh, the rounds play, but you know he tried to gut it out because that's what Diego Schwartzman does. He's never going to take that easy way out. That's why he's one of the game's champions. But you know Chris O'Connell continued to work the point whenever a ball would be left short in the rally. O'Connell snapped it early, changed direction, followed it in. Chris O'Connell for the match, 17 of 24 at the net, and you know again wins 75 percent of his first serve points. Four of 11 on breakpoint chances, fought, fought off six of the eight breakpoint chances he faced against Diego Schwartzman, who finished last season number one in break percentage on the ATP Tour. It's a heck of a performance 
for the Australian wildcard, who again, advances now to the third round for the first time of his career for Chris O'Connell coming up next. Most winnable of the bunch. He's got Maxime Cressy. Crazy that Cressy somehow. And yeah, I know he's one of the hottest players to start 2020, but if you would have told us one year ago today, Max Cressy is going to be a 67.8% favorite to advance to the fourth freaking round of the Australian Open, I would have said, pass whatever you're smoking over here, folks. Instead, it is going to be Chris O'Connell versus Max Cressy. Cressy, Cressy is 67.8% favorite, but you know, again, that Cressy serve into the one-handed backhand of McConnell, you think on paper, that's a matchup for Cressy to exploit. That's why he's the heavy favorite, but tennis, as we've said, not played on paper. Those were your upsets on the day. Now, normally we talk about the matches that went the distance, but only two other matches on the women's side, other than Kavinich Ranakanu, went the distance on the day, and no men's matches go five sets on day four of this Australian Open. So let's just get to the women's results. Talk about how the top seeds look. I know we haven't spent too much time talking about some of them. Iga Sviantek's in cruise control. And if you watched her play the warm-up event, the three-set win over Vika, the, you know, loss she took to Ashley Barty, but, you know, some of the level she played, I thought, Bar- you know, that was just indicative of how well Barty was going to play here in Australia. But Sviantek's played very, very well here to start 2022. And, you know, again, has yet to drop a set as we enter this third round. And I think there's something like 26 women, something crazy. Not 26, that's too many, but it's something like 17 of the 32 women left haven't dropped a set yet, Sviantek being one of them. These hard courts are undeniably slow. And if you give a slow, high-bouncing, high-court, hard court to Iga Sviantek, I mean, again, it's... It fits like a hand in a glove. It's just the ball, her ball explodes on these courts, and she has that much more time to get into her forehand, that much more time to run around that ball, her backhand down the line, so well disguised. She's comfortable moving forward. She's a complete player, and she's physically more physically gifted than 95% of you know WTA players. It's a really nice combination. If you're Iga Sviantek, she cruises past Peterson. She would be my favorite right now to advance out of the bottom half now that there's no more Muguruza, no more Conteve, and, you know, I... Arena uh, Sabalenka, who advances in a straight uh, three-set victory over Shinyu Wang, uh, 6-2 in the third. I mean, you just can't make her the favorite with how erratic she's played. And I will say, I've, I told Jeff Sackman this before the tournament began. I said, if Sabalenka can get through her first-round match with Storm Sanders, I swear to God she might just win this damn thing because all she needs is confidence. Even when she's not playing her best, she can find ways to survive. And then by the end of the match, she was playing her best. So she can find confidence and God will fine form. The confidence has started to arise. The form is still not there yet. The double faults continue to pile up, but Sabalenka survives in three sets. You know, those are your probably two favorites in the bottom half. Although, you know who's looked really good? Anastasia Pavlochenkova, who I think's dropped five, six games in her first two matches combined, two and two win over Sam Stozer, who the Australian crowd obviously honors after the match as she played her last singles match of her career. What a fantastic player, obviously, Sam Stozer has been. I wonder if she'll be a Hall of Famer. That's a discussion we'll have to ask Ben Rothenberg next time we have him on the show. 
Uh, Mona Halep, uh, she also, and I said this going into yesterday's matches, it was a prove-it sort of match for her uh, on day number four as she took on Beatrice Haddad Maya, who obviously doesn't have the highest degree, uh, you know, pedigree of potential opponents she could have played, but big lefty weapons, you know, again, Halep hadn't been serving particularly well, but it looked so good physically. I said, if she can cruise through this one, serve a little bit better and just, you know, take away the big first strike Haddad Maya wants to play, that's a scary thing for the rest of the draw. She did just that, has shot up the odds makers and tennis abstract projections. Simona Halep now, uh, 6 2 6 love, second favorite, I believe, according to odds makers at plus 600. Now that Conteve and Muguruza have been eliminated to reach and, or excuse me, to win uh, the 2022 Australian Open women's singles final. Uh, of course, some of the other seeds who cruised on the day. Elisa Mertens, she looked very good. Another straight set win for her. 16th consecutive third round for her in singles at the Grand Slams. Uh, Mertens advancing over Bagu. You had straight set wins from Daria Kasakina, who was one of my dark horse picks entering this event. She stays alive. Straight set win over Magda Lynette. Danielle Collins advancing 6-4, 6-3 over Anaconia. Very impressive win for Collins. Two impressive wins for Collins thus far. Dominant over Caroline Dallahide. Now straight sets over Anaconia despite no match play entering this 2022 Australian Open. She seems to have found her form here at the year's opening Grand Slam. How about Tamara Zidonczyk? We talked about it entering the tournament. She was someone who was playing with house money, has pretty much nothing to defend here until that French Open semifinal you know, f- first slam where she's seriously seated at a heart. You know, I guess she was seated at the U.S. Open, but into the third round she goes of this Australian Open, six and four win over Heather Watson. And you know, now if you're Tamara Zadanzik, beneficiary of some of the upsets, Tamara Zadanzik in her next match has Alize Cornet. It's a very winnable match. And then all of a sudden you've got two second weeks at Grand Slams on your resume. You want to know how you stay top thirty, top twenty-five, top twenty sort of push? Do that. And Tamara Zadanzik has a serious opportunity to do just that after her straight set win over Heather Watson. Other seed who was extraordinarily impressive and just has sleeper status written all over her right now. Number 31 seed Marketa Von Drusva, who is also scheduled to play one of those closest matches of round three. You look for Von Drusva. She's actually a minus 145 favorite right now over Arena Sabalenka. Those are your second closest odds tied with Cornet Zidanzik. But you look for Sabalenka, according to the numbers, a 54.2% favorite, according to Tennis Abstract. Of course, anyone who's watched tennis in 2020 knows that Von Drusva is playing better than Sabalenka right now. And it was a good test for Von Drusva heading into that Sabalenka match as she gets hard-hitting Ludmilla Samsonova, knocks out Samsonova 6-2-7-5, just such variety. She just broke the rhythm of Samsonova with the lobs, with the drop shots, the short angles, didn't give anything away for free and just used her speed, her improvisational skills to, again, force Samsonova to have to improvise, which is not what she wants to be doing. Now, obviously, Sabalenka at her best, a better version of Samsonova, but is Sabalenka at her best right now? It's a question all of us are asking, and we will find out certainly on day six, uh, but that's a fun one for all, all of us to look forward to. In round number three, your two other winners unseated, Kaya Kanepi, two and six over Buzkova. The month of January is Kaya Kanepi a month, two years in a row. She's just killed it in Australia. Third round for her, and now you look for Kanepi. I believe uh, she takes on Anastasia Pavelchenkova, who we haven't really seen tested, so 
I think that match is interesting. Keep an eye on that one. And then Serana Kirstea, another third round for her. Four in the past five slams, two and four win for her over Kutsova. You look for Kirstea now. Uh, she, I believe, in her match next matchup. Oh, no, excuse me. She's got Pavlochenkova. Kaya Knepi's got Madison English, who's a three-set winner on the, uh, on the day, by the way, over Haley Baptiste. Kaya Knepi should make the second week of the 2022 Australian Open, and what a coup that would be for the veteran from Estonia. Uh, Yeah, those were your women's matches on day four. Fun day of play. Of course, the men's side, I would argue, slightly spicier when it comes to the rest of the results uh, than the women, and it starts with the spiciest match of the tournament thus far was a double dose, hot ones degree of spice in Medvedev versus Kyrgios. The crowd booing Medvedev in between first and second serves, or not booing, suing, whatever this thing is. Um, But in the end, Medvedev, too mentally strong, too fit, served too well. 7-6-6-4, win over Nick Kyrgios. Now, Kyrgios in the post-match press conference said, I think I would have beaten or he said, a lot of the draw. I don't think he said 75%. I think he said I would have beaten a lot of the draw with how I played tonight. Hard to disagree with that assessment. Was down an early break, ends up getting that break back. The energy he brought out from the crowd at the end of that third set, the tweener point he wins, obviously. What was that in the 4-3 game or the 4-all game? And, you know, again, or maybe it was after he had been up a break. But when he's getting that break and starting to take his backhand early on the rise a bit more aggressively, and obviously he's got the dynamic forehand, but he's actually quietly more comfortable being an athlete and being, you know, four to six feet behind the baseline using his speed and quickness to beat you to the spot when you're playing defensive improvisational outer third tennis. And that backhand's so condensed and so smooth. And it is a little bit harder for him to generate pace and more importantly, spin on that wing when he tries to go big on it. It'll sail long on him, but he found it in the third set. And again, Nick Kyrgios is always as good as Nick Kyrgios wants to be. The problem is Daniil Medvedev's ceiling still might be higher. And like, Daniil Medvedev served lights out. He moved extraordinarily well. He continued to put pressure on Kyrgios, didn't let the crowd get to him, was willing to play Kyrgios' games and still beat him at it and just track down that extra ball whenever it was necessary, whenever it was 30-all, whenever it was deuce. And, you know, credit to uh, Medvedev, a big win for me. He very, this is the sort of win a number two seed earns. And he did earn it and very, looked very much the role of top contender in this event. That was an impressive second round victory mentally. And, you know, again, the post-match press conference, him with the crowd and, you know, again saying, can you guys, you don't have to respect me, but please respect Jim Courier. That's Medvedev being Medvedev. And, you know, he's very candid, very honest, honestly, very funny as well. One of my favorite interviews on tour, but credit to Medvedev. He earns the four-set victory. Credit to Tsitsipas as well. You know, was pushed up against the back fence against Sebastian Baez for a hot second there. But in the end, Tsitsipas, 7-6-6-7-6-3-6-4 win over Baez to advance to round number two. I think the big thing for Tsitsipas is, again, he's been tested physically in his first two matches. He's come up with the answers. He's found the serves, the plus-one forehands against two guys who are going to make you play a lot of extra shots and put you in uncomfortable positions in Mikhail Emer and Sebastian Baez in his first two matches and yet again the strength of his weapons and you know the physicality and the physical nature of his ball win out in the end he's still not in my top tier of contenders I think it's Medvedev Zverev and then Sinner Alcaraz Nadal then probably Tsitsipas is that third tier 
Uh, but, you know, again, he's the number four seed. He's made the semifinals here before. Four-set victory for him. He advances over Sebastian Baez. And now you look for Stefano Tsitsipas. Things still looking pretty good for him. 92.4% favorite over Benoit Pair. That's another match to work his way into top form until it really becomes crunch time week number two of this Grand Slam. And again, you look for Tsitsipas down the road would be a, a Roberto Bautista, Gut Fritz winner in round four. And then, you know, probably Yannick Sinner or I guess Alex Diemenauer. But let's be honest, probably Yannick Sinner in the quarterfinals. Uh, that's when he's going to need to be at his best physically. But he advances. And, you know, again, speaking of at their best physically, how about Felix Ogier-Aliassime? 7-6, 6-7, 7-6, 7-6 over Davidovich Fokina. It was not his match that was like, oh, they were just serving lights out and it's very pretty tennis. FAA struggled with the wind, you know, with the explosiveness of Davidovich Fokina. And yet his first serve, his plus one forehand got him through the match. He plays elite power tennis when he's on his front foot. Not good, not great. It's elite now. And just in those time, you know, again, in three of the four tiebreakers, he was able to win the free points more easily he survived in his first two match. Rusevori pushed him to three sets. That was on the merits. Rusevori was that good. And I thought Felix played better in that match than he did in this four set. You know, it was a broken sort of match against Davidovich Fokina. But it's a tough third round. No rest for the weary. And I will say both Canadians, Shapovalov, Felix, they look fit as fiddles. Like, Felix was fine physically at the end of the fourth set. He was ready to go the distance, but he's going to have to rest and recuperate. And it helps to be as young as he is, 21 years old, when you play, uh, you know, this sort of physical matches back to back. But next up, he's got Dan Evans, who is at the peak of his powers, who throws slice at you, who tracks down that extra ball, makes you play from so many uncomfortable positions on the court. That's a fascinating third round matchup. And yeah, Felix is the favorite on paper and Felix will be the favorite via the money lines, but... Dan Evans as an underdog is not a bet I hate. Now, again, if Felix is the elite player I say he is on the serve plus one forehand, he should win that match because he's got the plus one forehand and the serve to, you know, maximize exposing the biggest weakness in Evans' game, which is, of course, that backhand return. So it's fascinating. Absolutely fascinating matchup. And for Felix, and if you're a fan of Team Canada, that Dennis and Felix both managed to get to round number three, not playing their best tennis or against tough opponents. You take that and you chalk that up as a victory and a sign of growth from both young ascending stars. So credit to FAA, great victory in four over Davidovich. Well, not great, but earns the victory, hard-earned victory for sure over Davidovich Fokina. Some players who thrived on the day. Bautista Gut, 1-0-3 over Cole Schreiber. Just Cole Schreiber's not on Bautista Gut's level anymore. Bautista Gut, top 20, top 10 sort of physical presence. Cole Schreiber was not able to reach that level. Thus, the victory for Bautista Gut. I mean, Sinner just plays big boy tennis, and that forehand into the Stevie Johnson backhand. Talk about a strength maximize, uh, um, accentuating a weakness of an opponent. That's what, It's just a brutal matchup for Stevie Johnson, who had gas left in the tank after that Jordan Thompson match, but wasn't at the full or the 110% he needed to be to knock off Sinner. And, you know, again, straight set, comfortable victory for the number 11th seeded Italian, who is my favorite to advance out of that Pass quarter of the draw. And, you know, again, things have opened up for Yannick Sinner now as in his next match, he's going to take on qualifier Taro Daniel. You look, uh, again, Taylor Fritz, really impressive, was down a break early in the third set, ultimately gets it back to earn a 6-4-6-3-7-6 win over fellow American Francis Tiafo. And I continue to say, if you don't have a weapon to get him stretched in the outer third, Taylor Fritz is just too good at tennis now. He's going. He just hits the ball massive. 
off of both wings, is very fluid and I wanted to say ambidextrous, but that's not the correct term, just can find all of the angles and can do a lot of things off off of both the backhand and the forehand wing, can hit the line, drive down the line as well, forces himself forward and is still not good at it, but is good enough for now. You know, again, the question is, has he come up against someone with big enough weapons to expose his lack of elite movement? The answer is not yet. Now, physically, he is going to be pushed by Roberto Bautista Agut. But again, Roberto Bautista Agut likes to play, you know, drives cross court to the backhand and, you know, gives you opportunities and tries to bait you into playing overly aggressive tennis. I don't know if you want to give Taylor Fritz opportunities. So that's a fascinating match. And, you know, again, you look at the odds right now, 57.9% favorite Taylor Fritz to the 42.1% chance of Roberto Bautista Agut. You look on the men's side, uh, that Fritz RBA match is a pick according to our friends at DraftKings. And, you know, Shapovalov Opelka, by the way, also a pick uh, amongst DraftKings. By the way, closest odds, Carino Busta, 53% favorite. Shapovalov, 57.4% favorite. Fritz, 579 Those are your three sixty forties on the men's side. I mentioned Dan Evans gets a withdraw. Arthur Rindernesh has played a lot of tennis here in Australia, just unable to compete. But hell of an opening month for Rindernesh. Evans into the third round. Very winnable match opportunity against this version of Felix Ogier Aliasim. Two guys bouncing back over the course of the past month and even more so for one of them. Marin Cilic now 15-4 in his last 19. No, 16-4 in his last 20 matches. Foresight win for him over Norbert Gambos to advance to the third round. Demon Hour into the third round, straight set win over Matrizek, and the demon is dangerous, folks. You look at his draw, Pablo Andahar next, who doesn't necessarily have the biggest weapon to hurt Demon Hour with. He'll be an 81% favorite, according to Tennis Abstract, in that match. After that, it would be the Sin Man. And so again, I think whoever wins that match, Sin or Demon Hour, A, I hope we get it, because what a fun, you know, two exceptional athletes, fun contrast of styles. But, you know, again, the demon in front of this Australian crowd is... 15% better. And so that's something to keep an eye on. Of course, your other winners on the day, Vendison Schulp earns a retirement from Richard Gasquet, up 4-6-6-love, four-love uh, four, four Gasquet, unable to continue play. Cressy, four-set win over Matchek, as I mentioned. Now he's a favorite to advance to the fourth round over Chris O'Connell. Then the aforementioned Pablo Andahar, four-set win for him over Alex Mulcan. That, folks, was day four at the 2022 Australian Open. Of course, you look at what day five has in store for all of us. Let's look at the matches we've got on hands. It starts with the women's side. Oh, oh, what a day of matches. Osaka and Isimova, delightful. Svitolina uh, Azarenka, all in on that. Bedosa versus Kostyuk. Hello, that should be fun. Sakari versus Kudermatova. And of course, Barty taking on Georgie. Krejcikova versus Ostapenko. Six all, you know, six, well, I guess Kostyuk beat 32-seed Srebez Tormo, but, and Anisimova beat 22-seed Belinda Bencic, but all essentially seed-on-seed matchups and just exciting young talent, veteran talent, you name it, where all of the storylines are there. I mean, from I gave the full preview on the GSP Ace of the Day show, so if you want to hear my thoughts on all the matches, head over there. But what an exciting slate of match. If I were to rank them, Osaka and Isimova won just because Osaka can win the damn thing. Thus, that match is inherently most important. I go Svitolina Azarenka 2, Bedosa Kostyuk 3, but would probably be my 2 if I was being honest because... You know, next-gen talent, both of them 25 and under. Bedosa, arguably the most informed player right now in the women's game, not named Ashley Barty. Marta Kostya can just do so many things on a court. That one's going to be super fun. 
Kudermatova soccer just feels like the unexpected upset alert of the day. Although, who knows? If Camilla Giorgi swings big, she can do anything her, she puts her mind to. Against number one seed Ashley Barty, of course, Krechikova, Ostapenko, Panko gonna Panko. So, who knows what that match looks like? Pagula Parizas Diaz is interesting. Parizas Diaz, four titles, one, uh, four ITF titles, one WTA title over the last 52 weeks at a new career high of 63 in the rankings at age 30. JPEG hasn't played great, but Pagula, you know, again, has looked better and better in her first two wins, has accumulated some confidence. I don't know what Parisa's Diaz necessarily does to hurt her, so that's an interesting one. And then Keys versus Wong. And if Keys is the threat we think she is to win this tournament, she should get through this one, despite how much tennis she's played over the past two weeks, comfortably as well on the men's side. I mean, again, rack them up. Six exceptional now. Five exceptional. Four exceptional. Still, Berrettini Alcaraz. Do I even need to sell that one? Pay-per-view. We're all locked in. The young Spaniard, if he's going to show, he, if he wins this match, it's no longer a conversation. Well, can he win this thing? It's like, oh, yeah, he can win this thing. Uh, Shapovalov, Opelka. Opelka's been better, straight up. I test Opelka has been the better player matchup perspective. That big serve into the Shapo backhand and maximizing the exposing of a weakness. We'll talk about that before. We can talk about it again here. I think Opelka can do that. Carreno boost to Corda, two guys coming off of physical five-set matches. You imagine you favor PCB to bounce back a bit better, but... I mean, who? I talked about it yesterday. That match for Corda Mute, just I'm throwing it out. So maybe Corda's just deleted it from his body, from his memory as well. Again, it helps to be 21 years old in these scenarios. Hatchinov Nadal is a test. And Gilgros, when I went on three a tennis show, referred to Hatchinov as a backhand guy. You know, those six foot six guys Hatchinov, Medvedev, Herkot, Zverev, who are all massive and can just bunt down on the backhand. And thus, it's not a horrible matchup for them against the lefty heavy topspin of Nadal into their strike zone. Hatchinov has played Nadal closely over the years. He's never beaten him, but he's played him extraordinarily closely over the years. Again, Hanifman played Nadal tight. I thought Nadal crushed Marcos Giron, and I say that respectfully. I just thought Nadal really worked him, except for set two was really, really competitive and very, very fun, and Giron brought his best. But if Nadal cruises in straight sets in this, I'm going to elevate him to the uh, Zverev Medvedev tier, but I need to see it first. And so I'm intrigued by that match. Garin, Monfils, Monfils should cruise. Garin's played 10 sets in two matches, but again, Monfils, another guy. Is he actually a contender to win this title? How good is he? If he cruises once again, it's going to be hard to deny it at that point. Sanego Kesmenovic is interesting. The battle of the who can take advantage of Novak Djokovic not being in this tournament draw. Karatsev should beat Manorino, but another guy who's played a lot of tennis over the past two weeks. Title last week, nine sets in his first two matches. Manorino played his perfect match against Hercots, and it's really hard to do that twice. If he would, he'd still be number, you know, he'd be number one in the world. That's interesting. I got nothing on Zverev Elbot. Those are your day five matches. Of course, quick final thing, update on where the odds stand. After two rounds of play, we did see some movement, in particular Simona Halep, up to second in both Tennis Abstract singles forecast and DraftKings odd, the top 10 in each category for you all quickly. Barty, still first, according to Tennis Abstract, 17.5%. Halep second at 13.6%. Bedosa third, 11.4%. After that, everyone in the 3 to 6.5% range. Fourth is Osaka. Fifth, Azarenka, interesting. Sixth, Sviantek. That's your first player other than Halep from the bottom half of the draw. Seventh, Sabalenka. Eight, Sakari. Nine, Danielle Collins. Ten, not Krejcikova. Not Madison Keys, not Pavlichenkova. 
Tennis Marquetta Von Drusova, folks, feels worth mentioning. You look at the DraftKings odds, Barty, Halep, Osaka, your three favorites, then comes Sviantec, Bedosa, Krejcikova. You then get to the Keys, Azarenka, Sabalenka territory before you start getting longer shots, 28 to 1 at Tossin, 30 to 1 Sakari, Von Drusova, Pagula, Kasakina, 35 to 1. That's where things stand for the women, for the men. Daniil Medvedev actually gained on the rest of the field with some of the losses, and no more Schwartzman on his half of the uh, in his section. No more Rude on that half of the draw either. Forty point seven percent favorite now to win the title. Then comes Zverev at thirty four point one. Sinner six point seven. Uh, again, thirty four point one for Zverev. That's pretty close. Then a massive drop off. Sinner six point seven. Alcaraz four point eight. Tsitsipas four point two. Another drop off. Nadal one point seven. Rublev 1.3, Monfils 1%. So only eight guys with a better than a 1% chance to win the event. Of course, the odds, very reflective of that as well. Medvedev plus 125, Zirov plus 250. Now DraftKings in the public, more respectful of Rafa. He's plus 400, third favorite there. Then you get to Tsitsipas, Sinner 14 to 1, Alcaraz 20 to 1, Rublev 25, the Karatsev 30, Berrettini 35, Monfils 35 to 1 category after that as well. Some movement after the first two rounds, and yet steady at the top, right? It's still Barty, Osaka. They're now joined by Halep in the tennis abstract and DraftKings pool. Still Medvedev, Zirev pretty comfortably at the top, although Rafa slowly inching towards them from an odds and the public perspective. But it's been a really fun first two rounds of action in Melbourne. And of course, if you've missed any of the action, we've recapped it all each and every day here on this mini break podcast feeds. Picks for you every day on our GSP Ace of the Day podcast feed as well. Match of the Day segments for our Patreon family. If you want to find any of that content, just head on over to our website, CrackedRackets.com. Of course, if you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at CrackedRackets. You want to message me directly, I am at GreatShotPod. A shout-out, as always, to our super... I'm at A.L. Gruskin, by the way, but a shout-out, as always, to a man who can leave that in, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the f*** of an editing job he does, day in, day out, making all of our content possible. With all of that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we will talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.